0: The Punisher, Season 2, Episode 3 Trouble the Water.
1: A lot of and the blues, the blues. but I'm to you what Boy, you ain't got
2: no much. got
0: Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, episode 208, where we are looking at The Punisher, season 2, episode 3, Trouble the Water. And yes, I can feel it in the water that I am joined by two other hosts, but I am numero uno host this week, John.
1: (laughs) I don't know what numero duo is. Uh, I'm Derek. I
2: can't speak any Spanish or (laughs) Italian, so I'm number three, Chris.
1: (laughs) Number three Chris. We've got
0: three Chris's.
2: Yes, number. we've got three Chris's, but uh, only one of them is here today.
1: Well, since the Marvel Universe has so many Chris's, it would be likely that our podcast just alternates Chris. Just people yeah. that sound like Chris over and over again and gives them the name Chris.
0: Yeah, they? exactly. <laughs>
1: Chris Hemsworth.
0: Chris Evans. Pine. Chris Pine. And now Chris Jones. Well, animated Chris
2: Pine, yes. Hey, hey, that's still good. It's still good. But anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about the Chris's in the MCU or the animated marvel universe we're here to talk about the punisher
1: Hmm. episode three of the season and we're finally starting to get some feedback in which we'll have after our discussion about this episode yeah our spoiler
0: filled discussion but before we get into that please get in contact with us head on over to our facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups Forward slash defenders tv podcast. And of course, you can send in your voicemail on any of your thoughts about the Punisher season two on any of the episodes into our website at defenders tv podcast.com. Go to the tab on the right hand side and leave up to 90 seconds of your own thoughts on anything to do with the Punisher. And of course, email feedback at defenders tv podcast.com.
1: And as you know by now, hopefully uh, we don't watch ahead. So if you are talking about an episode that we haven't covered yet, or if you're talking about the full season, just make sure you mark it that it's full season spoilers uh, so that we don't get spoiled talking about the episodes ahead of time. But we'd love to hear from you.
0: So Derek, what are some of
1: the episode details for Trouble the Water? Well, some more experienced Marvel folks on this episode. This episode was written by Ken Christensen, who wrote Episode 10 of Punisher Season 1. And it was directed by Jeremy Webb, who directed The Judas Goat, uh, Episode 6 of Season 1 of The Punisher. A British director worked on uh, Grange Hill, Doctor Who, Downton Abbey, and loads of shows in the US. But he is now a member of the Marvel family, having done... These two episodes of The Punisher now, and an episode of Legion and an episode of Marvel's Runaways as well. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. And John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. Frank
0: Castle, still going by Pete Castiglione and Rachel, or maybe that's Amy. Susan, Peggy, or Stephanie are under guard in the Larkville Sheriff Station. As the police get closer to unravelling their identities and their secrets... The man in black is waiting outside. After shooting one of the officers in the gut, he makes an offer to the sheriff to give up their quarry or risk their colleague bleeding out and their own lives to protect them. Meanwhile, back in New York, Billy Russo gets triggered by his therapist when she pushes too hard in one of their sessions. After taking out the guards on his room, he goes on the run, but not before he removes his mask.
1: I got it right. I got it right. Last episode, I said... Does he go on the run soon? Because he'd said he's been working out but hasn't had the opportunity to run just yet. Next episode, there he goes, off running. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Maybe they should have given him some better workout facilities and he wouldn't have gone on the run.
0: Yeah, well, I was thinking, you know, because he took off the mask, all that running, that the stitches would slowly come undone and his face (laughs) would fall out
2: pretty sure that's not how the anatomy works <laughs> no i'm
0: sure it's not but <laughs> it's it
2: like oh no i have a stitch <laughs> my skeleton falls out of my
0: <laughs> that's
1: not why men. i, meant. I but, know you're a doctor john but not a medical doctor no right? not a medical one no.
0: but nonetheless you know i was kind of thinking it was going to really hurt
2: but uh let's get into our top five points because we don't want to spoil anything just yet yeah no,
0: exactly bullet point one then I'm on a mission from God. Not me, but the man in black. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, we've got a little bit more information about this man in black. Uh, And I thought this was really good because, you know, he has this air of mystery uh, about him. Uh, But we see him uh, at his local church listening to the sermon, getting introduced to a number of new people in his life. His wife in bed, um, seemingly with some kind of illness, whether it's terminal, we don't know. Uh, But also uh, we see uh, this elderly couple as well, who seem to be kind of like the elderly sort of gangsters from hell.
1: (laughs) Well, the Christian uh, pastor does call them their patrons. So they're the ones that are kind of supporting this church and keeping it going, flowing money in and out of it, I presume. Uh, But yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, that... We have this character um, who we don't still know his name at this stage. We know that he has kids, and we know that he has a wife, and they're, they're taking care of her. It seems like they're supporting her with medical treatment as well. Um, as uh, Anderson Schultz, the older of the older gentleman, says to him, uh, "We're trying some experimental treatment that's working quite well in Germany right now." Uh, so we see that that's happening. Whether he's now indebted to them because they're giving the treatment yeah. to the wife, or whether he is so super religious in this Christian church that he's willing to do anything for them. Uh, But it is a really interesting idea. I'm presuming it's a Christian fundamentalist uh, religion because what we heard in the last couple of episodes from this character is that he doesn't like people cursing around him. Who wants uh, a reverse of all the technology in society and he quotes Bible verses when he kills people as well. So. Well,
0: that's it. I mean, my neck would be snapped within two seconds of, mm-hmm. of being in his presence, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, he certainly had his moment <laughs> for sure. Um, he's had that road to Damascus or that conversion to the church, uh, I, I love the fact that you saw all the um, old tattoos that had been kind of re- removed or attempted to be removed. So he looked um, like he had
1: tons, doesn't he? And doesn't yeah. it look like all of them said "I love mom" on them. <laughs> I'm sure one of them did, but there were definitely some evil-looking, like a death's head tattoos well, it looked there was like a on one shoulder. Yeah, there was a lot.
2: So I'm getting the feeling that he's a converted uh, white supremacist. Mm. Very much yeah. so. You had one of the na- um, Nazi insignias. You had an SS on him. You saw the death skull, one of the death skulls. Mm-hmm. I don't think the religion he's in is Christian fundamentalist or anything like that. Because if you looked at the church, mm-hmm. the church, other patrons of the church or followers or the the herd, are they? they're all dressed normally. But then it's him and his two children who are... In that almost Amish style.
0: Oh, big time.
2: Christian garb.
0: So, do you think this is more of a cult then? So, almost like maybe a far right cult or a Nazi cult that is kind of masquerading as a church, but then he is quoting the Bible, so. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, no, I'm getting the feeling that he's just part of this church. He just goes there. That's where. That's his community church, and that's the town's church. Uh, I believe that Anderson is potentially like. One of the most influential people in the town, probably think country kingpin uh, style.
0: <laughs> I like it,
2: and he is probably funding it in order to get the man in black's skill sets. Yeah, uh, underemployed.
1: So, just to rewind that, so basically, you believe that the church itself has no connection at all. That yes. Anderson Schultz, Eliza Schultz, are heavy patrons in the church as they're introduced and the man in black is their weapon effectively being used by them and them only and not the church i think you're i think you're pretty close on that from what i can see in the episode as well i know what you mean it's always one of those weird readings because he's quoting bible verse you assume that everybody that's quoting bible verse in the episode are all combined together there is just one weird moment where eliza stands up in front of the community and says to them we used to be torn apart we were never a brotherhood before now we've worked really hard to be to make this a brotherhood to bring this whole community together which on its own is fine and then it cuts to anderson her husband talking to the man in black saying we need your help to save one of ours because he's been thrown to the to the lions like in the book of daniel so it feels like there is a bit more maybe to the community and we're seeing these three people particularly pulled out so i'm still not sure whether it's a full cult or whether they just happen to be members of the church
2: well also part of me because i did think it was going to be a christian fundamentalist cult i don't know maybe it could be something along the lines of that the schultzes are part of the main families uh, that control the town it was a coal mining town or something like that and they've helped bring everything back by doing X, Y, I. I, I I, I don't think the church is involved. I think it's just he is crazy fundamentalist, mm. uh, kind of quoting Bible scripture yeah. and things like that. That being said, and we'll get to the, the main points later, when he calls in this army of his, mm. it's more the militia. He has an armed group of like heavily trained ex-military who are indebted or will come to his beck and call
1: let's hold that because we're going to be talking about one of the members of the group a little bit later on I do have a theory about about what you're talking about Chris yeah
0: I mean I think there's still a lot to uncover with this guy Mm. and certainly his relationship with the Schultzes and who they are you know who he is what he wants, what he's doing, and who he works for—you know—whether it is that old couple or whether there's a bigger thing uh, at, at play here, uh, for sure. And yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely think it's some kind of cult or sect of, of some description that's certainly has got that military background.
1: But just one final thing on this point: I do think it's very interesting the way he treats his wife. We hear the Schultzes say to him, "Your family will be taken care of when you're off on this mission that that you're going to." We see his wife in bed. We see him dealing with his kids. And then his wife asks him where he's going, and he quotes Bible scripture at her again. He says, in the Bible, the left hand should not know what the right hand is doing, lest it betray the right hand. Um, that's a really cruel way to treat your wife, who's lying in bed sick, effectively, who you're going to be leaving behind and leaving in the community's hands while you're, while you're gone off on a mission. He doesn't seem to have any kind of soft side with her. I think it's quite interesting, quite telling about this character.
2: Yeah, I I, I think that. I think there's just def- there's definitely a... Very strange, hard edge mm-hmm. to the character. Uh, and I, I want to know more. Yeah. It's kind of like I'm speculating now just because, like, I'm hoping the flashback episode of this season is him. Right. And we get to see his full backstory because I think that will really strengthen the character, similar to what it did to Vincent D'Onofrio in Daredevil.
1: Yeah. Hopefully it's not just these five minutes at the beginning of the episode
0: exactly know, but no, a flashback, absolutely yeah so on to bullet point number two it's interrogation time at larkhill sheriff's office mm. we have um frank and amy frank in the cell with the uh the woman from the knife gang and amy in the office With a lot of aliases going around. I mean, I've been calling her Amy, but we hear Rachel, Susan, Stephanie, and finally uh, Peggy. Just as uh, the officer says you've got more aliases than Carter has pills. So nice little Peggy Carter moment uh, or insertion there, uh, whether by accident or design, uh, which was, yeah nice to hear
1: it definitely perked my ears up when i was when he was just listing off the names you know as always in the marvel shows or marvel movies when you have a list of names you're always trying to go "Ooh, i wonder where they got that from <laughs> and then you hear peggy and carter in the same sentence basically it's just one of those ones that make you your ears perk up
0: definitely but ultimately here we have um in the back office in the cells so to speak we have uh frank with the lady um who was out to knife him and, and take amy as well a lot of questions here and plus the, the there was the um the brother of one of the police officers uh in there as well drunk who had some really good, good moments here i mean i did think he was just going to get killed to yeah. be honest and uh, in fact it's one of those things where i know this is kind of like really good and i really enjoy the punish up where Every moment someone's got their head round by the window, certainly during the standoff, I just feel there's going to be a bullet going through the forehead. I'm really on edge when when I watch The Punisher because I'm expecting sort of whizzing bullets or or stabby knife moments
1: Mm -hmm. just straight out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, but there are some great character moments in this episode as well. I love when we hear about Marlena, the leader of the Knife Gang, as we were calling her in last episode, the leader of the gang that attacked uh, Frank in uh, in the hotel. Um, we hear about her being former military and then being former security forces, which made me instantly go, "Oh, former security forces like everybody that Billy Russo had." in his security force in season one. You know, is that is that where the connection's going to be here? Is Marlena someone that used to work for Billy, and then when he went out and his whole company was shut down, has she gone off to work for the man in black, potentially? Is that where we're getting the connection to this whole armed force that he has in his back pocket? Is it something connected to Billy Russo from season one? It,
2: it could be. Uh, yeah, it could be. I'm just more interested where, where all these former military, former security forces, like, how they just keep ending up. <laughs>
1: do you know how many people come back from war every year, Chris? Okay, yeah. that's true, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but we do have that wonderful moment where Marlena and uh, and Frank are going at each other and the brother is, is in the cell going, are you guys married? Because you sound like you're married. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. That was that was really nice. And I think, you know, we see here um, that Marlena is... is a threatening one she's threatening the sheriff frank tries to appeal to his better side but um again i i love the suspicion that the sheriff has here because yeah i think i would too and mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's that nice kind of gradual building of trust in it, and it leads to sort of a nice moment during the big standoff where frank Effectively goes out to protect the village, you know. And see why they reference the Angel of Death uh, from that Western because it, it really does feel like the Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood mm. who comes in, you know, mysterious uh, protects the the town from uh, the external forces. And you, this is what you really have here uh, in this episode. So yeah, really uh, nicely done. And I think it's also good as well. You know, whenever uh, any group are in a a cell you know they're locked in you can see the tension rising um you know how are they going to get out of this situation it always Mm -hmm. plays quite nicely to be honest and that was a good part of this episode for me yeah
2: i just also want to kind of bring up the fact that pete has a completely clean record and Mm -hmm. kind of get kind of given that and i'm like really like you wouldn't just put in that he has like something because a man like Frank, you kind of go, well, he has to have, like, it It just automatically makes it suspicious when <laughs> it's a man like John Bernthal, who's as jacked as that, and is able to kill three people and shoot someone through the, the, the muscle completely. And then it's like, yeah, no, he's nothing. He's just a truck driver. He's driving through the thing.
1: To be clear, the deal that Frank made at the end of season one was, I'll get out of here. I'll use the name Pete Castiglioni. And I'm gone and you're clearing my record completely for me and I won't start any trouble in the country is what he said to them. And that's what they agreed to. We heard Madani hanging up on him last episode because he tried to ask her to clean his record again. And she's like, "Eh, no, you can't just go out and kill people just because you've got those skills. We cleared the record for you. It's done.
2: (laughs) Yes, but they almost cleaned it too much. So basically what they've done is they've just, his record is in the middle and his skills and everything are on the outside. And essentially what we've got is the outside is dirty and then just his record in the center is brilliantly clean. It's, It's too clean. He doesn't even probably have a speeding ticket, I think he says.
1: Oh, it's nothing. It's, it's absolutely nothing. It's, it seems like his date of birth, his name, are connected to this set of, print, set of prints, and that's it. And maybe yeah. he, maybe he's from New York. That might have put on it. But yeah. I like that the sheriff immediately goes, well, obviously, this is a clean record. Because if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, then it's a duck. You walk like a duck, Preet, you're definitely more, yes. than, more than what's led in here. And they just instantly start calling him Marine from then on. Everybody in the police station calls a Marine from that point onwards, really. So they they all are aware that this isn't uh, this isn't a true record of them. Uh, but I did like that other scene that we got in the in the episode where we have the sheriff uh, after taking everybody in and processing at least Frank and um, Marlena. We see the lieutenant from episode one turn up, the guy that was told by the man in black to keep his people out of it. Uh, we see him turn up with the man in black to try and interrogate Frank and Rachel and take them into custody, and the sheriff completely refuses which I think was quite interesting. He immediately tries to stand in the way of them and goes, we need to get one of those signs that says management reserve is the right <laughs> yeah, to refuse, that was nice. uh, service on the wall, you know, <laughs> nice little moments.
0: Yeah, really good moment. And, again, it's one of those moments for me where I was just expecting the man in black to pull out a gun Mm -hmm. and shoot him in the forehead. And the fact that it played out differently uh, in in almost that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid moment, um, you know, uh, was really nice. And I I love the fact that, you know, you get the sheriff talking about management reserves the right to refuse service, but then you get the biblical payback uh, from the man in black with his bible quote and, and i like just the fact that the bible quote sounds cryptic and you're kind of like and he who says the will what and you you know whereas management reserves the right to refuse service much more to the point
2: <laughs> I, I i did think for a second and i don't know if you guys noticed there's um there was a quote the oath and it mentions god um on the above the door yeah in the police station yeah and i thought that's what he was referencing mm-hmm. um and then the obviously mentions a different oath. And I was like, oh, oh, he's going, oh, he's going, oh, he's going. Yeah, exactly. Out. So I like how they are fully leaning into the crazy preacher man. Yeah. We all have that one mate that's slightly weird. This is like 10 times order of magnitude crazier, which is just a guy who randomly quotes Bible verses at you when he wants to get his way, but with very stoic face. You're like, Oh, you're scary. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's and not. Like, they even call it out with the about the detective. Like they're like, You're sweating a lot, you're alright. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, he's like, you don't know what this guy's gonna kill everyone. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And I mean, yeah, he's he's not the most um riveting of conversationalists is the man in black, <laughs> to be honest. I mm-hmm. mean, to sort of converse in Bible quotes uh, must be really, really hard and difficult. But I should have also uh, mentioned that the actual Bible quote that he does say is he who sows the wind will reap the
1: whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. And the whirlwind does come. It certainly does. It certainly does. Like, this is that absolute threat from the man in black. He's asking, effectively, he's asking the sheriff, did he swear an oath to God so that he knows when I quote bible of this guy this guy should be versed in the bible effectively that's the whole point of him checking with him did he swear that out to god and then quoting this bible verse at him, and it is threatening as hell really interesting we'll definitely be coming back to that in a in a moment but we do need to go on to our other characters up in new york uh, with our bullet point number three why don't you want to sleep billy <laughs> Why doesn't poor Billy want to sleep, John? Because he's
0: scared of what's underneath his bed. <laughs>
1: well, or, or he's behind in his the, eyes.
0: Yeah, behind his eyes. Yeah. He, he's afraid of his mask. I mean, to be honest, I would be looking back in the mirror with that on. I'd be like, okay, who did this? <laughs> Even
1: the nurses and the doctors coming in, I'm like going... Who did this to you? So we speculated last episode that this was a task that was set to him uh, during therapy by his therapist. That's why everybody is used to him having it on. That potentially he did this himself to show this outward face of what he feels he looks like underneath the mask. Yeah, if that okay. makes sense. Because it does seem really weird, especially when he goes around the uh, the wards or walks around the hospital and nobody gives him a second look with this really weird mask on, you know, you would get second looks from people around, that, around the hospital, wouldn't you? Unless it's part of your therapy, potentially. Yeah, okay, definitely.
2: No, yeah, and I'm kind of hoping that the fact that the mask has come off, mm-hmm. that it returns later. Maybe. Because I find the mask to be slightly more ominous than anything they could do to ben barnes (laughs) yeah exactly he's too good looking so i'm like i just just give me the the weird wacky mask i know this is a very grounded show and this is what these shows are about but i do love sometimes my comic book elements Mm -hmm. so like daredevil's powers or in this case someone probably wearing a costume
0: yeah and it's also very halloween as well you know um, yeah with with the mask it's kind of that blankness that comes back from it i know it's not entirely all white but when you look at the mask it it does kind of really emphasize that deadness that's behind it and i think that's really really nicely done given that you know billy russo uh, has been effectively cheese grated on on the face by um, uh, the punisher in the last season and he's dealing with all this um this hurt this pain uh, and everything that's that's come of it despite that i don't necessarily have much sympathy for him at all really Mm. which is weird i think but nonetheless you know i'm kind of there not really sympathetic to him and then of course we see him have his moment here where you know he's triggered um through uh the the nightmares that um he's having uh, and the therapist sort of tapping into that and really sort of releasing those those fears and, and then, yeah, we see that Billy Russo
1: is back. It wasn't smart, really, was it? As a therapist, you know, like she does claim that she's a really good therapist and she's been dealing with Billy for months and months on end. And then she pushes him this far to the point where he's about to hit her and then in come the, the guards and he kicks the living hell out of them and electrocutes them on the floor. Like this is really Billy Russo's yeah. fighting ability back at the very least, if it's not yep. himself. I know what you're saying about not having any sympathy for them. What they tried to do in the first couple of episodes was just those couple of scenes is just say, well, he doesn't have his memory. So have a little bit of sympathy for him and have the therapist kind of reiterate that over and over again. So you're supposed to have some kind of sympathy for him. But you're absolutely right. When this happens, when this twist happens, you're kind of going, no, he's being punished the way he should be punished for the things that he did in season one. He is getting that punishment. And then he's just back again out into the street you know
2: yeah and i i I want to recant my um i don't want to recant it fully but i do want to recant slightly my theory about the the psychologist dumont Mm -hmm. being kind of uh, a double agent or i just think she's a bad psychologist
1: (laughs) maybe but but yeah it it is really interesting is she involved somehow did she push him that far to get him out into the into the public you're right chris You never know what these shows what's going to happen in episode eight where you find out actually she was the one that was put there to get him out back out into the streets you know it's, it's entirely possible still i wouldn't i wouldn't take it off the table just yet no, so i'm recanting we'll it but see. not completely
2: yeah like, i think in episode eight she'll just suddenly appear back in out uh, beside the main big bad and we're mm-hmm. like i knew it all along <laughs> exactly
0: yeah exactly I, I do like as well that when he takes the mask off we as the audience don't get to see his face yet Mm -hmm. Uh, and that it's her being exposed to the the face behind the mask because uh, i i just thought that was a really nice touch actually a really kind of you know a nice choice that they made for for this episode yeah and i suspect that we may see it in the next episode obviously unless they do that thing where you Know for the next two
1: episodes, he's in shadow all the time or whatever, but um, It'd be like Maris in uh, in Fraser or something that he just he's just off screen all the time, and people are talking to him off screen, <laughs> but, facing the opposite way, or yeah, yeah or the, who was the neighbor in, uh, in Home Improvement as well, where yeah, you just got to see his head. eyes and stuff, yeah. And um, you know, just one thing I want to point out here because I have been seeing, and we always do, we see criticism before shows begin. People have been making this comment about billy russo being way too pretty to be jigsaw there's no way you could wreck his face as much as they did in the punisher movie but you know what they messed up the face of dominic west in that movie so bad that he could hardly talk or act through the prosthetic prosthetics that were on top (laughs) of his face they're not going to do that with billy russo in the tv show i'm guaranteeing that's not the face that we're going to see in the next episode but also in the comic books He's the one that fights against Punisher over and over again. And he regularly gets his face beaten in over and over over again to the point where it gets really bad over years. So the first time after going up against the Punisher and having this moment in the fairground in season one is not going to have him with a mashed up face for the whole of season two. There'd be no point. You wouldn't be able to have a main character. So I'm not expecting to see Quasimodo next episode. Um, on Ben Barnes's face.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on this. Too many people were expecting Quasimodo. Too many people were expecting the Elephant Man with stitches. And I get that. Jigsaw was introduced 30 plus years ago. Comic books needed to be a bit more larger than life. Yeah, the yeah. characters were larger than life. So now what we're getting is the more grounded version. And to be fair, what really just happened to him was his head was slammed, as we saw, into glass panel repeatedly and dragged once. That was it. So the level of potential scarring with a good doctor Mm -hmm. is not going to be that bad. It's not like they're going to like pull off mass amounts. But that being said, I do hope that they do keep him in shadow for a while. And then they show them face, it's going to be somewhat scarred, and then they put him back into the mask.
1: Maybe, but I think what they're really going to go for here is the emotional scarring that's happened to Billy Russo. That's why his mask is so messed up, really. And yeah, possibly he'll be hiding the face behind the mask for the rest of the season. But yeah, I just wanted to make that point because I'm really not expecting to see the Punisher Warzone version of... Uh, of Jigsaw in this TV show because hey, time's changed and it's going to be different obviously so uh, we've got various different versions of the of the Kingpin over the years. We have our Netflix version which is very different to the Into the Spider-Verse version obviously very different to the animated series version very different to the original Daredevil movie version of Kingpin so um, so this is going to be a different version and I'm well up for seeing Ben Barnes in the next episode, obviously. Yeah. I think another great thing about this
0: whole thing with Billy is we see, you know, the obsession of Madani mm-hmm. as well, who comes uh, to the hospital once she's heard that he's on the run. Um, and I think it's uh, it's nice we get um, Detective Mahoney uh, back, uh, and he arrives in to really kind of stake out his turf. Really, to mm-hmm. say, look, Madani, the reason why you're not on this case is because you're too close to it. Uh, you should never have been here, and this is my stuff. So, like, get out. But you know, and she has a nice little kind of attack on uh, the Dumont, the the therapist. Um, again, she is convinced Russo has always been hiding behind the mask and now that it's revealed she's kind of like going could you not see that he's been playing everyone and Mm -hmm. i do like the fact that she comes back to madani to say are you saying to me i can't do my job that i i can't tell when someone's faking it you know yeah Uh, and i I really that that's nice you don't get that too often you know Uh, so this was a nice little thing
1: i did like seeing mahoney though for sure yeah, yeah, it was great to see um, uh, Sergeant Brett Mahoney uh, right the way back from, from I think, episode one of Daredevil, I think, yeah. was his first episode on the he show. He is like? a detective now, isn't he? Yes, he is Detective Sergeant Brett Mahoney, getting all those promotions from all the work with the Defenders he's been doing over the years. But we do see that Madani takes uh, Dr. Dumont's address book and then tries to call Frank. So she tries to call back on the phone number that Frank called her uh, in the last episode. So uh, so she we know from this point she's going to meet up with Frank because, well, let's get on to the big center section of this episode bullet point four chris i took inspiration from you for the name of this bullet point assault on larkville sheriff station
2: there yeah you go. precinct 13 <laughs> I, I i want to call out just uh, from the last episode we talked about there being a if every episode of this season was some form of closed assault Mm-hmm. like action sequence and everything else around it being being sort of localizing it to one place in the next episode potentially we'll get localized into a bar or a hotel i'm okay with that because this felt very interesting mm-hmm. it, it really was like what would happen if you had 30 guys surround a 10 room police station With a couple of cops in there in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. It's interesting.
1: Absolutely. And it's very much, there's two big movements in it. So our bullet point four is really just about the assault. It's about the other side of the assault. Um, Frank's side is our bullet point number five. Um, It's really interesting that after that moment that the man in black had with the sheriff, he sends off the lieutenant who couldn't do anything for him and then just switches off the power. He's been fully prepared the whole time to to have this assault. He knew he was going to be uh, refused from the sheriff. He turns off all the communications in the station as well. And then all of his own armed response unit is waiting over the hill for him. You know, this whole thing is completely prepared. But he did give them the opportunity to hand over Frank without any fuss. But I don't think he was even halfway prepared to just take them away and stick them in a car. I think he just, he always knew this was how it was going to go down.
0: I just loved how um, the man in black played it. I mean, what a... You know, he takes aim... What a shot um, from the man in black uh, to take out Officer Ogden. It it was nice because it was that silent shot and you just hear the crack of the windscreen of Mm -hmm. the police car. Uh, Even Ogden probably doesn't even know that he's been shot at that moment. And then it's precise, it's in the gut, and he's there um, and he says, well, it's in the gut, He's going to bleed out in two to three hours. If you want to get him to hospital, then um, we'll let you go. Just hand over, obviously, Frank and, and Amy, uh, the two people that he's after. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really nice. I Even just like the car just slowly, you know, like this slow motion bumper car
1: hitting the one in front. <laughs> um, really nice. Um, it was so good, wasn't it? It was only like a, a millisecond after Ogden gets into the car. Their, their plan's really simple: it's get in a car, drive to the point where the communications aren't blocked, and then call in the state police to come and help us out. Yeah. And it is literally, you know, he gets in the car, everything's going fine, just fires it up, it moves for half a second, then bang. But it, yeah, all, I mean, all that's... over, all done with. He knew it was going to happen. He is that well prepared. Yeah, and on the other side, we have the police officers asking Frank for his estimation. They know that he's been in situations like this before. And you have Frank kind of going, well, you're alone in the dark, surrounded by wolves. What are you going to do? You know, uh, really interesting. Frank trying to insert himself in in the cops that are sitting in the station. That's
0: well. it. And even like, I think the, the, the big cop who's just like, oh, the charger was too much for Ogden because there's that <laughs> whole joke at, at the start that it's way too powerful, way too yeah. fast. He's not going to be able to drive it. And then it's like he's just... Um, you know cut the engine off uh these missed the biting point and installed the the engine and yeah. i thought that was really nicely uh done nice little joke there yeah
2: i really enjoyed the cutting that frank gives each of them uh, mm-hmm. like he yeah. goes after the, the the larger cop and then in particular the female cop who's like no just give them give them frank give them rachel like we don't we shouldn't be laying down our lives mm-hmm and he's like, yeah, you don't know what to do. Have you even fired your gun in yeah. real life? And you see, he just cuts straight down. So another part of Frank's arsenal is his ability to kind of cut people with his words. He's yes. very direct to the point. Um, again, great delivery by Bernthal on this, uh, in that like, he's sitting there in a hipster, hippie hoodie that's just going over his clothes and he's still acting like a military commander. Mm -hmm. So, moving it forward, what we see then is Frank, after saying all this, is like, they're going to come in the back. They're Mm -hmm. surrounding you and pushing you to the front because they're going to come out. They're like, never going to happen. No, they'll (laughs) come through the front door. It's fine. Bang! We get the, the explosion. The back wall goes and we see Marlene is extricated, extracted from the station while we get a number of other members of the gang, whatever militia, whatever we want to call them, mm-hmm. storm pre storm, kinda of, it's like it's like a testing. There's only three of them run into the main area and mm. um, with semi automatics and this is where Frank is hiding for his life before being freed.
1: Yes, it's a really interesting scene, isn't it? I love that moment. It does feel, again, you know, you mentioned about, you know, Assault and Preacher 13 before that this is everybody holed up in one situation, but it also feels like zombie movies. You know, you've got all these disparate people inside this inside this place all being tooled up and given weapons to go and protect themselves against this oncoming threat. Um, but yes, they take out Marlene, and then Frank just stands there after killing the three guys that come in and just looks out at. You know, a sea of 10 or 15 guys outside who don't shoot a bullet at him while he's standing looking at them. They've obviously been told, like they were in the first episode, where they were told, you have to use your knives, not bullets, because we have to cover this up. They've obviously been told, don't shoot that guy until we find out who the hell he is and what he wants to be involved in our situation for. We're going to take him alive kind of thing, which is really interesting. I love that moment of the standoff where you just have him staring out, you know?
2: Yeah, and then we get that great comment by the sergeant, which is, don't you dare think about running. Mm-hmm. and Frank's just sitting there going, you're out of bullets. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then just turns around and walks back in. Yeah, It's yeah. just so classy. Classy is the wrong word, but you know what I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. And we do get our final moment with Marlene. I'm so glad they gave us her name in this episode, so at least we can refer to something other than Leader of the Knife Gang, so that's, that's yeah. good. But unfortunately, we don't need her name anymore because um, <laughs> she has been subject to the Man in Black's death move this time, he comes up behind her and gives her uh, a nice Bible verse, I guess, <laughs> as he strangles her and chokes her to death. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he doesn't um, like failure.
0: No, absolutely um, not. So, yeah, Marlene gone. I, I thought, because I was like going, oh, okay, so he is that fanatical because it's mm-hmm. just they've, I mean, okay, Frank talks about them um, testing the defenses by effectively, you know, um, going it through the back but you know they've just rescued her and then he kills her so i was like ah okay yeah he is that fanatical
1: yeah it feels he- like he would have also created this plan not just to get rachel and frank but also to get marlene back to kill her to punish her for not doing what he wanted her to do you know she tries to get another chance from him we mentioned last episode where she didn't even want to tell him that she'd found frank because she was worried about how he would treat her and worried about how he would react if they failed she knew this could happen to her if she failed and he just happened to arrive before she was able to succeed in her plan she was still close to pete castiglione you know she was still there still had a possibility that she could have taken him down but no he's 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 got her, and he's going to punish her and kill her right there. Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I, I'm kind of um, perturbed by her being killed off so early because Martine, I think, could have been a strong character, potentially. Yeah. Like, I, I know what we'll probably get is some very, like, she was a minion, and her death is used to show the ruthlessness of the the Preacher Man. Exactly. Man in Black. Yep. But still, it was like, aw, I kind of liked her.
1: I know, I was. I love when they bring in characters like this, having a strong female leader to a group like she is, How we saw how physical she is, we saw how, how well organized she was, how well she planned for the attack on the hotel uh, last episode. It really feels like if it wasn't Frank Castle she was going up against, she would have gotten her quarry every single time. That's the kind of character she feels like. And you're right, to take her out in this episode is absolutely there to underline how badass this other guy is and how much, if you fail him, he's going to treat you or how what way he's going to treat you if you fail him, you know. Um absolutely. But it is a shame because I would have liked to see her yeah. do other things in later episodes, you know?
0: Yeah, big time. But um I think our final little mention for uh the Larkville Sheriff's Station before we move on to bullet point five has to be Ogden's brother Bruce, <laughs> uh who was in the cell in the drunk tank. Um because as the guns are blazing, he wants a chain gun because he's seen triple and he can't aim for shit. Uh, what a great
1: line! <laughs> Probably my favorite line in the episode. I love, I love that moment. I think that's hilarious. Just this idea that he just wants this rail gun uh, to take out everything <laughs> yeah. on the horizon because he just can't see anything. He's still off his face after quite a heavy night. He says that his, his own brother is the one that put him in the junk tank as well, <laughs> which is really harsh. It's like as if, well, I can't, t- I can't bring you home and watch you, so I'll just stick you in this, uh, in the cell. yeah exactly those are usually in most TV shows those are the characters that get killed off immediately aren't they Uh, the ones that aren't supposed to be in the situation exactly and they're funny so you know it wasn't him
0: I'm glad he survived the night Mm -hmm.
2: yeah or the other ones are it's the last day before retirement Oh, yeah, I was absolutely. expecting the the, the larger <laughs> kind of police officer. I only got one day to I'm supposed to retire tomorrow or next week. I was expecting that <laughs> pass away line just as a nod, but, but instead, what you
1: get is I'm really hungry after that. Yeah, <laughs> anybody else hungry?
0: <laughs> it's like we've got to go and get our donuts. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, but on to bullet point five, mm-hmm. um, because of course, for the police officers and for the sheriff in particular. As long as he's on our side. Yes. As long as Frank is on their side. Because, wow, um, did he go uh, special ops here. I I thought this was just fantastic, actually. I loved how he goes... Um, have you got any duct tape? And you're kind of there going, ooh, what's he going to do with that? And it's simply to cover up the white of the bandage mm-hmm. on his uh, on his wrist and on his arm. Really nicely done. I love the camera shoots uh, of him going through the, the, the forest, taking out um, members of uh, the Man in Black's team. Uh, as he moves through Mm -hmm. i love the confusion it kind of brought as it's flicking between frank going about shooting other people other members of uh the man in black's team running around in panic or trying to find him and then with the man in black himself trying to track where where frank is i i just thought it was really really nicely done um for sure just that all out frank castle shoot fest
1: yeah and I know it's I know it's a phrase coined back in uh, back in the Gulf War. I think it was the whole idea of shock and awe. This idea of how the military attack people, or the American military particularly attack people in other countries. This is absolutely the position that Frank comes from. I love that moment when he, at the start of this whole battle, he says to the sheriff, "They're going to come at us. They're going to burn us from inside." And you see the guys throwing the Molotov cocktails. Two shots from Frank, the guys are on fire. And we compliment stunts a lot on these podcasts when we're talking about the defender shows and how long their one-take shots goes, that burn that's done with the two guys on fire um, is fantastic. It's a very, very long shot. It continually comes back to them as the two of them are yeah. on fire. I remember in the 80s when we used to see this stuff and it would be on screen for, you know, one or two seconds of a burn. That's like a minute long that these two stunt guys are on fire. It's so dangerous. And we always forget to kind of compliment them for doing this kind of stuff in stunt work. It's so important and so interesting because you can see how much confusion it's causing in everybody around and really important to have it on screen for as long as it is, but really dangerous for the stunt guys. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's really good and I mean, certainly given that you know, like you remember back in the 80s where someone went on fire and all of a sudden they doubled in size because of the fire retardant stuff that they had. So it it kind of like they looked like the Michelin man walking around (laughs) with, with pillows on because it was like that was the suit that kept them safe and yeah. uh, it's like whatever with technology it it just looks so much more real it's or the gel yeah. you know the way they they um, shoot it is just much quicker but the cuts you know they cut it to make it go longer yeah. so really uh, nicely done as well and it's almost like playing off what the man in black did to ogden in the car where frank as well shoots at exactly the right moment in order to cover them in their shower of flame yeah, yeah, you know exactly
2: i i just loved the gun run
0: that mm-hmm, we see yeah.
2: next which is frank slowly methodically going through the woods and it it's literally it's all, it plays like a video game it watches like a video game you just see frank kind of slowly after like wrapping his cast in black duct tape mm-hmm. slowly just making him his way through uh getting other guys to shoot at other things so that like twice the guys kill each other
1: yeah Yep.
2: And I said like, fantastic. fantastic.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it plays like a video game when you're playing a video game, not when I'm playing a video oh, yeah. game. I, I'd have to go through that section about 15 times <laughs> thing, to try and get past it. You're a lot better at games than I
2: am. <laughs> I'm going to take that one. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, but I, I love how it just, it, in these opening three hours, we're constantly reminded of how dangerous Frank Castle is. Mm-hmm, With yeah. all his training. Like, the Punisher is a weapon until himself. Yeah. Um. All that training just automatically kicks in, uh, even with a broken hand. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And he, he gets really good. Unfortunately, the Man of Black kind of is just about to get Frank dead to rights and is about to squeeze that trigger. And then Madani and Homeland in a fantastic helicopter show up.
1: Yes. And Interesting I was, one, that one, isn't it?
2: yeah it was great to see. I didn't know what where this was going, how it was gonna like I was like, oh no, Frank's gonna get shot on the shoulder or something and there's gonna be a big scrap or he's gonna start barking again. I don't know, <laughs> uh, but we get Madani. they I wasn't sure it looked like for a second that the spotlight was on the man in black mm, and no. then he kind of but it was actually just kind of, it looked like yeah. it was it was actually yeah. on Frank,
1: yeah he does get away uh definitely. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? I'm wondering, do you think it's possible that all of the gunshots that were going on and all the fighting that were going on could cover up a helicopter that was that low to the ground and its arrival? <laughs> I'm not sure whether somebody would have kind of gone. There's a helicopter on its way from a mile or two away in a very quiet area. But I did like it. I, you know, it, it kind of it kind of felt yeah. like there was a switch on and the spotlight went on and the helicopter was already sitting directly above them. Silent running helicopter from Homeland.
0: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, but you could say that about them just firing at the police station that anyone local, uh, because, yes, it's remote, but they don't plonk a sheriff's office uh, where there is no community, (laughs) um, you know, keeping the local otters or beavers in order. But it's kind of like, so I was kind of with just them firing and firing that, well, the neighbors are going to hear, and they're okay. going to go like, "Okay, I'm going to call the <laughs> the police." So you're right. I was also wondering about the helicopter, but it's just like you've just got to roll with it's it. Just I a think at suspension this of disbelief. Definitely. That's That's awful. Awful. I mean, I did wonder whether the pilgrim escaped in the end because he was caught in the spotlight of the helicopter, mm-hmm. um, and then he just vanished. And I was like, surely the helicopter could follow him, and like, how did he get,
1: you know? into the wind really so i don't think that was the plan judging by the rest of what happens in the rest of the episode i don't think the plan was to take down this guy that frank is up against remember Madani doesn't know anything about this Madani's not there because she got called in by anybody she's there to pick up frank because frank called her and said i need to get out of these charges and the reason she's there to pick up frank is because well billy's in the wind and she needs frank back you know she needs to tell frank that Billy's looking for him. Yeah, because that's the moment when she lands. She tells him, kind of have a little bit of bad news for you, Frank. <laughs> you know, um, but I think that's the reason. So they do let the guy go that's been shooting at Frank because, well, they're not there for that. They're there to pick up Frank. So we talked about it last episode, Chris. That the second episode of the show, because it was written by the same by the showrunner and directed by the same director that did episode one, that it felt like the second part of a movie. This felt like the conclusion of the movie really yeah I kind of should have waited until this episode to say it, really um because we do have the final shootout man in black runs off frank wins and we have him getting his record expunged again in two different ways it could have happened you have madani saying i'd like it to be official that it gets removed no record at all of him being there and the sheriff kind of telling frank well i was going to do that anyway but i was going to do it and let you walk free because yeah. you saved us so that kind of feels like an ending as they board the helicopter to go off to New York. I love that little moment where you've got Madani and uh, and Frank knowing exactly that they're going back to New York. And Amy's just looking at them going, well, why am I going? Yeah. But, but they're in Michigan, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah,
2: That's a long way to Tipperary. I mean, New York. <laughs> I, I'm in agreement with you that this feels like the end. Mm-hmm. Um, like the man is about to walk off uh, into the distance again. Yeah. Um, this time going to New York. And I kind of do hope that we get these... They're not self contained because we've had other threads, but these tight three episode arcs is probably mm-hmm. the wrong thing, but like we have and we have what guts of three more plus one finale right um so potentially you could have the next bit being about Frank chasing down jigsaw, then we have something else and then something else, but there's all these threads in between. Like so Rachel's not the focus now for the next three episodes, but Billy is. And the and Madani is. So they I don't know, it, it felt very it felt like a good three hour season premiere. Yeah,
0: yeah definitely. Yeah. Um but of course this leads us all back to New York um yeah. and uh, effectively billy russo getting involved so it'd be nice to see uh, a bit of billy and a bit of the man in black um sort of involved uh in the punishers life
1: i reckon yeah yeah absolutely and we talked about it often on these shows you know unfortunately we're getting to the end of a lot of these defenders series um and we've talked about it often that we're not sure whether they've cracked this 13 episodes and how to make them some people do 13 episodes of an entire film they expect people to sit down for 13 full hours without any breaks and watch it from start to finish like you would watch a two hour movie some people do it in arcs like this seems to be where it's a three episode arc which i think is probably one of the best things and one of the most relevant things to netflix audience as the only information we ever heard from netflix is that people watch two and a half episodes at a time on average so doing a three episode arc where you have a kind of definitive end after the three episodes is probably a pretty good way to do your show right if you're going to have 13 episodes you know. yeah
2: no so, i agree yeah. and i think if someone is joining punisher season two for whatever reason as, as a first mm. entrance into this this will pique their interest enough i think yeah it would give them like okay well that was a good three hours i want to see what else they got like mm-hmm. the, this is done, like I know this is the level of action, this is the kind of level of intrigue we'll get, the, the drama we'll get, so I think oh, that's, that's going to be interesting to see. I also think they did it for probably a pacing reasons mm. uh, in order to go, well, we don't want to just we don't want to just do a full explainer of everything in the first two episodes or episode, yeah. so this has been a nice way to just kind of reintroduce us to Frank Castle's world. Uh, and the world of the Punisher, and exactly. his skill sets, and his allies, and his enemies. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: yeah. So and making still- it a little more punishy as well. I think
1: very much so, very yeah. much so. Well, that's it. That's our top five points for this episode. We got a couple of notes, a little bit of research done, on, and a couple of the things that are mentioned in the episode. Really, we don't have a whiskey watch this episode, John, but we do have mixer watch yes we do we just have coca-cola Um it was a nice little
0: moment where um amy says child services are coming do you want to tell them you neglected the nutritional needs of a minor by not giving them a Coke. Um, so certainly a bit of Coke there. I definitely of course, think
1: there's some sponsorship in there from Coca-Cola for this episode. Uh, maybe. And
0: of course we didn't see the Punisher pouring Coke onto his bum like uh, we did see with the whiskey uh, in the last episode. That's it's, true. <laughs> I, I did actually miss the podcast that had the best
1: whiskey watch ever. True, true. But you did see the episode, so it's, it's all right. <laughs> I did.
2: Exactly.
1: The other thing that was mentioned in the episode by the Schultz family is the Book of Daniel, the story about Daniel and the lions, where they say that one of ours has been thrown to the lions. There's a reference to a Bible passage about Daniel who contri- continued to pray to God even though he was working for a king who had already outlawed it, so he was thrown into a lion's den. The story then goes that God sent an angel to protect him and he emerged uninjured the next day. What's interesting, I suppose, about that is obviously the Schultz are saying that one of ours has been thrown to the lions and potentially the man in black is their angel to go and protect him so that he emerges unscathed after whatever the lions in this in this story yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, potentially there's a congressman that they need to get off um, by getting these photographs back, something like that. So, he, so this man in black is trying to save someone that's on the side of the Schultzes, so... Yeah, and it, it's funny because that does take me back to
0: um, Sunday school mm-hmm. with Daniel and the Lions. Um, of course, though Daniel could have
1: just been a damn fine lion tamer. Could have been, could have been, but that I just think it's quite interesting that you can glean a little bit by some of the dropped lines that are that are in the show.
0: Yeah, we've mentioned about the pale rider. Um, were uh, the reference to the western weather all saved by death coming in all shapes and forms but in this case it's frank castle but in pale rider of course it's clint
1: eastwood and then finally for me just a final note because we finally got the episode names which we didn't have at the beginning of the season obviously as we started to record our episodes Uh, the episode names seem to be coming from songs or lines and songs in some cases. The first episode was called Roadhouse Blues, for example, which is a very famous Doors song, and obviously the show was set in a roadhouse. Uh, In this episode, we have the pastor at the beginning talking about uh, Jesus... Troubling the water, and anybody that steps into it will be healed. Thence the title Trouble the Water. Uh, This actually comes from an old gospel song called Wade in the Water. Interestingly, this was a song written in the 1800s, and some researchers say that it was written by African American slaves to tell other slaves how to evade capture by wading in the water to to cover up their scent from the dogs that would be on their trail. So normally you would have the song being Wade in the Waters aimed at the slaves, whereas the episode here is called Trouble in the Water, so it's actually aimed at the people chasing down the slaves or chasing down Frank and Rachel who are on the run. So I think it's a really deep cut, to be honest, that they're that they're using this as their reference for the episode.
2: Nice. I like it. I just thought you. every time you say Wade in the water, I'm like, smoke on the water. <laughs> dun, dun.
1: Very different song, Chris. Have a look up on YouTube. There's a, a really cool uh, gospel version. I love gospel music. There's a really cool gospel version of uh, "of Wade in the water. Really, really interesting. I love that kind of history, too, as well.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Uh, no notes from me on this one. We will be giving some more comic book background as more things are moved on uh, in the series.
0: Excellent stuff. Onto the defence, Chris. Do you defend this episode of The Punisher?
2: As I said, I defend this as a kind of a a one arc. I think as Derek kind of put it, and this is a good introduction or reintroduction to the world of the Punisher. His skill sets. Um, I I talked about this episode one and episode two being more of a slow burn. While I still enjoy them and I defend them, it was deliberately paced. And now after seeing the end of episode three, I understand why. They specifically set these three episodes as the reintroduction episodes, um, which Netflix gives them the luxury of. You couldn't do this on cable TV or any other. You couldn't do three 40 minute episodes where essentially that's your intro to the series again or that season. Like, you couldn't do that as a whole. Uh, so what they've done here is, is interesting. Like, looking at it as one gigantic episode, I'm like, yeah, this was an amazing reintroduction. I'm so happy they've done it all this way. hmm So I defend this episode. I defend what we've gotten so far. And more importantly, I'm now more and more interested uh, by where this season is going. Mm-hmm. The preacher man, the man in black. What is the history there? I'm interested to see. Jigsaw, Billy Russo. Where will this go? Yes, he won't be as disfigured. Uh, ben Barnes is two beautiful. People, come on, <laughs> come on. He's a beautiful man. Let him be. Don't don't disfigure Ben Barnes. But anyway, we. I'm interested to see where he goes. And actually, to a degree, Madani. Um the 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 the, the trouble that we've seen in her for the last two episodes. Like, Madani was a straight-laced agent in charge. To see in this episode Madani stealing evidence from the NYPD directly and knowing what she's doing mm-hmm. um, is going to get interesting. So, yes, I defend this episode. I defend these three episodes, this arc, and I want to get into it. Excellent. John. Do you defend this episode of the Punisher?
0: I uh, do you declare that I defend this episode of the Punisher.
1: That didn't work in Charleston when you visited there. It will not work <laughs> on
0: our podcast. John. <laughs> 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 exactly. I definitely defend this episode of the Punisher. Trouble the water. Um, I'd give this four crazy town congregations out of five. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I loved the standoff at the sheriff's office. Um that reference to Pale Rider, which is one of my favorite uh movies, um and certainly western movies. Mm-hmm. I don't really like westerns too much, but I love uh, that movie. Uh, I think that the standoff was so well done. I'm really intrigued by um the man in black. I want to know more about him. You know, he provides that scurry um, stoicness um, and stoicism of, of someone who is um, deeply um, fanatical about his truth. Um, I think that's really interesting. We see that with Madalena. It's great that uh, Billy Russo has gotten away from the hospital out of his shackles um, and I'm really glad that it's all congregating on New York City. Um, This was a great moment Mm -hmm. uh, for me to see this. And again, like you guys have said, I think this idea of this three arc opener uh, has been really nicely done, I think. It's good to see Madani come in back as well and get reunited with the Punisher. Uh, So for me, this was uh, a really great, good episode so yeah i do defend uh, this episode of the punisher derek do you defend episode three of the punisher
1: yes absolutely defend this episode yeah i've really liked this first arc of the show i've really liked how they're dealing with john Brontal's punisher and why he's in this situation i love how complicated a character they're making him one of the things we didn't mention in our discussion points in this episode is there's a moment when the police and rachel find out that actually frank wasn't tying her to the bed because he was scared that she might run away he was tying her to the bed because he wanted to use her as base for the people to come and collect her so that he could start another fight and take them all down He is the punisher, you know, this is what he does. It's so interesting seeing this, this version of the character back on screen again, you know, uh, getting him into this situation. They've done a great job. Really, really enjoyed this episode. So many good stuff, which you guys have talked about, obviously. Let's get on to some other people talking about this episode. Let's get on to our feedback section.
0: Yes, on to some feedback from Facebook for episode one. Remember, you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Uh, Our first bit of feedback comes from Ronaldo. He goes, Jeez, welcome back, Frank. Probably going to be against many other viewers, but I really appreciate the slow burn that Lightfoot uses here. I'm sure many would be expecting a high-octane, action-packed Punisher episode, but I am loving the time invested into making these people seem real. We get snippets of the crime syndicate to come, but the majority of this episode was fleshing out Frank." as the stranger in the small town. Anyway, just wanting to say it's great to have another Netflix Marvel show to watch... Jumping to the next episode now. Yeah, thank you, uh, Ronaldo, for that feedback. It is. I think the slow burn works really, really nicely. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I I thought a lot of the slower storytelling, even from Daredevil, really was nice. It kind of just injected a different pace into things. Um, and you're right. You you get to know more, and I, I I think that small town, the drifter coming into that town, uh. It's such a iconic uh, American kind of story, I yeah, think, yeah. Um, and it, it's nice to see these um, comic characters being put into that kind of uh, context. I think so. I, yeah, really enjoyed this. Yeah,
2: Rebecca Hart also gave us some feedback saying, "Okay, so far, like the slow sense, but already seems a bit more punishery than the last season, which is fine. He's developed, and I'm glad he's worked on his stamina." <laughs> yeah, I think even he's glad he's worked on the stamina yeah. to run around that forest.
1: I, I think in episode one, there's a different type of stamina being used uh, by Frank Castle uh, with Beth, the bartender. Um, oh, used yes. used stamina in episode yes. one, didn't he? That's stamina.
2: <laughs> yep, yes. he's worked, well, yeah, he's worked on that too. It comes in handy in the next episode.
1: See, I like this. Both Ray and Rebecca thinking that people wouldn't like the slow pace. But yeah, we definitely have been really liking the slow pace. Kale uh, Hensley also says... That the last line from Frank after he's asked if there's any more coming and says, "I hope so," man, he's definitely working out some stuff, isn't he? <laughs> no, he certainly is. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Cal, yeah, that's that's a very punishery moment at the end of the episode. Definitely. Uh, Bob
0: Phillips says, "Lonely warrior with a heart of gold and the stamina of an adult film performer is with us." It seems. <laughs> <laughs> indeed um he is uh yes if he wasn't killing people he could be doing something far far better bob phillips goes on to say i'm getting the strong impression that betting frank is very bad for your family and self and was quite (laughs) pleased that beth didn't die in this episode me too Uh, a bit less pleased we might have uh the dead bro walking trope and hope we soon get a black character who survives and while i doubt it maybe a non-straight one Mm. but enough of the whining i actually enjoyed this reintroduced pete and the rescue dog i mean runaway (laughs) and i and i'm guessing we're going to track down and destroy another crime gang but there's a hangnail from season one who might get in the way Mm -hmm. yeah thank you bob for the feedback it certainly uh yes it seems that frank and um getting jiggy with him is very bad for uh for you in many ways um and primarily because you generally either get shot at or attacked,
1: or held hostage, or kidnapped. So yes, stay away from Frank Castle, people. <laughs> well, never invite him to spend a second night in your bar, definitely. If he's saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. leaving ten today, let him leave 10 Don't <laughs> yeah. ask him back, definitely. Uh, I totally get, get what you're saying, Bob. I'd love if this show could actually avoid some of the tropes. I think they're going to, and I think one of the things that's interesting, taking these three episodes back to back, I think we're seeing some different plays on what you might have thought was happening in in the first episode. As we said, you know, Amy being the, you know, put upon teenager who's supporting herself, you know, and she's just got a plucky bit of courage and she's a bit sassy is what you think in episode one. And then you find that actually Frank's been using her to try and get into a battle with some people he can kill. You know, that's a little bit of a twist on the old tropes, isn't it? So uh, so I like that. I like the kind of changes as as the episodes are going on. I'm hoping they continue to do that throughout the rest of the show and the rest of the season.
2: Yep, so we're going to move on to episode two, gents. And first of all, we got feedback over on Facebook where Ronaldo says, Rachel's insistence to lie and put herself and Frank in danger is a little annoying, but it's early days, so I'm sure we'll learn more about her soon. Motel owner brings some light relief, and Mm -hmm. it's seeing Frank dig deeper into his killing vice, which is a treat to see, no longer caught off guard. Frank's skill as a trained killer is thrilling to watch. Mm -hmm. I'm a little less interested in Billy and Madani now, and find myself wanting to see more of Frank and Rachel's predicament in custody. Thank you for the feedback, Ronaldo. Yeah, well, you do. You get a whole episode to see about their predicament Mm -hmm. in custody. I'm right there with you on the last episode uh, regarding kind of Rachel and her constant lying. We don't get much interaction as of the kind of episode three or background. We're getting teased, but I'm interested to see where the character goes. Mm-hmm. So right now, yeah, she, she's less annoying, more kind of background. Uh, she's obviously central to the plot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, trust me, I, I think I, I I'm assuming they're going to lean more heavily into her. And I think we're going to get a good character there.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, Billy and and Madani were kind of just sprinkled into the first two episodes because that would be the question after coming out of season one, what happened to the two of them? Because the last time we saw them both, they were both taken off to hospital. So you kind of want to check in with the two characters. So I, I, I know what you mean, but I do think the bits we saw in episode one and two were so small, so slight that you didn't really feel like there was much of a thread. And of course, with the huge moment at the end of episode two where the cops come in and take... Frank and, and Rachel off to uh, off to the sheriff's station. Of course, you're going to want to know what happens with them as well. Um, interestingly, at the end of this episode, we do hear from uh, Ogden, who was the one that was dealing with Rachel most, as he's being taken off to hospital, he turns around to Rachel, who gives him back his $5 that she stole off him and says... So Rachel is your real name out of all the ones you were being truthful with me kind of thing, you know. I'm I'm your friend, you were actually telling me your real name and she just looks at him and goes, "Uh, no." <laughs> Which I like again, you <laughs> yeah. know, 3 episodes in and we're still not sure who this character is at all because she masks everything. So, I kind of like that. I mean, yeah, absolutely I do. I
0: I hope they don't make Billy and Madani less interesting mm-hmm. though because I I think Madani was a really good character from season 1 and, and Billy Russo I I liked his duplicity yeah uh, yep. and I hope that they um do keep them interesting absolutely uh, I I think the main thing is is that actually uh, the sense I got in these first three episodes was everything in Michigan with Frank seemed very different to that New York with the, you know, the cops, the detectives, Homeland Security and all that. For me, they just really did feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt that the Frank uh, scenes in in Michigan just felt like a, a bit of a progression. So I hope that they keep that when
1: they go back to New York as yeah. well, that vibe that you get from um, Michigan. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a wholly different show when they get back to, to New York. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens in episode four. Thanks so much to everybody for your feedback. As always, if you want to send feedback to us, you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Go to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and click on the send voicemail button if you want to send your voicemail to us or join us on our Facebook group like all of our wonderful fellow Defenders at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast where we're putting up spoiler post for each of the episodes as we watch them so you can follow along with us and see where we are and talk to us about the individual episodes as we go thanks so much for joining us fellow defenders It's been another great episode to talk about yes uh, we will be back with our review of the punisher season two
0: episode four scar tissue on thursday so yeah please come and join us
1: uh over at defenders tv podcast yes you see what i said about song names being chosen for the episode titles i love when we have this so we actually have some stuff so scar tissue obviously by the red hot chili peppers uh, referencing i'm presuming ben barnes's face that we may be seeing next episode mm-hmm.
2: yeah thank you so much fellow defenders and we'll speak to you again on thursday
1: yeah thank you so much fellow defenders for joining us
0: it's uh always great to speak with you but at the moment I'm seeing triple, uh, but once I get back to perfect twenty twenty vision, which is kinda of difficult for a man with glasses, um we'll speak with you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye
1: a
2: lot of blue blue, blue, blue. but I
1: That kind of feels like an ending as they board the plane and go back to New York. Sorry. Not the plane. There's no plane in there. What what plane? The 747. (laughs) The 747 that nobody saw because they were shooting. Well, they probably
2: would have got a plane. (laughs) They board the helicopter to the plane to New York. Exactly.
0: Chris, do you defend this episode of The Punisher?
2: That was a very card cut. <laughs> do you answer this pusher? Do you? I'll do you. Alter you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you for the feedback, Ronaldo. Yeah, well, you do. You get a whole episode to see about their predicament mm-hmm. in custody.
1: In, um, in custody.
2: <laughs> am I saying custody?
1: No, John's saying custody.
2: It's
1: <laughs> amazing.
2: I was like, what did I make? <laughs> <laughs> like...
1: Hmm. Instead of whipped cream, I suppose.
2: Oh, now, oh, now I want trifle.
0: On trifle, yeah. I <laughs> you want a sponge thing? <laughs> we're talking
2: about whipped cream. We're talking about custard, and I'm like, where's my, my, my goes, jelly?" Uh, where's I want some jelly? trifle, With jelly, and some sponge. Yeah, I'm good. Nice.